Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to, good to see you here. Glad you're happy back there in the back, uh, back row. Do you want to share with us your joy? And... We're talking about Song of Solomon. Oh. Maybe even dumb school, like over in the corner. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. We'll get to that in a few minutes, all right? Christy said about something about the Song of Solomon. I don't know what that could be controversial about. Your teeth about. are like commercially shorn views and none of them are missing. <laughs> all right. Well, good morning, everybody. We're glad to, I'm glad to see you, and we're excited about uh, this new Sunday school, uh, not Sunday school year, but Sunday school time to be together. And um, I, I might give you a little background of why this is happening this way and why we've chosen this topic. Oh, you good? Okay. And um, I guess it was last, last uh, summer the elders began to talk about uh, re-establishing the, the two-class model for adult Sunday school, which we've always had or had for a long time. And, um, but with COVID, it came up, that kind of squashed Sunday school uh, for a while, and then, and then uh, uh, just didn't quite get it started again. So that's why we're, why we're doing this uh, now. <clears throat> um, so we began to think about who might do the classes, and, and uh, I was talking to Dixie, and she said, why don't you do it? And I said, well, maybe so, but frankly, I am uh, grieving a bit today because I miss the little children right across the hallway there, but I'm glad to, to be here. <laughs> okay, all right. So, uh, okay, good. Um, so why wisdom literature? Why, uh, why did I pick that, uh, that topic? I don't know exactly. I think part of it is because he's up here. You got to come to the front row, Olga. <laughs> um, maybe part of it was that as we as we worked on the uh, on the counseling ministry. There's lots of proverbs as a as a uh, resource for counseling, so that kind of got my attention uh, there. And then a couple of really wonderful providential things happened. Um, CCEF, Christian Counseling Education Foundation, there. They're one of the premier biblical counseling groups. Their, um, uh, their national conference was on uh, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. So I couldn't go to Philadelphia to the conference, but I did do the, uh, you know, the remote thing and sat in my living room for two days and listened to the conferences. And they had, uh, that was in October, they had uh, speakers on Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and, uh, and Job. <laughs> And then some kind of general things about wisdom in the Old Testament. So that was really helpful to me. And then a few weeks later, I was having breakfast with Chuck Town, and he connected me or made me aware of a, of a group called uh, Christ Centered and Clear. And they had a one-day conference in Irving uh, in, um, in December. And the topic was uh, proclaiming Christ through the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. So they had five or six speakers for the day, and and um, um, and they had speakers on all these different books. It was just really, really helpful to me. So I'm really excited to be here today, and and uh, I'm I'm on a journey myself as I'm just beginning to grow and to see some things about the wisdom and the wisdom literature of these books that we're going to be studying. Um, so I don't have this all figured out either. And sometimes you're going to say, I don't think our teacher really knows what he's talking about here. And you would be correct in some of those things. So, <clears throat> so I'm glad that we're able to do this together and grow, uh, grow together. I am excited about uh, what we're going to do together. So let's have a word of prayer and then we will, we'll get into it. <clears throat> Our Father, we are, as your people, grateful to you for you, for your grace and kindness to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we come before you today uh, uh, acknowledging only his righteousness and his merit. Uh, we don't come in our own right, but we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful that you receive us 
and welcome us uh, in him because of his great salvation and his righteousness imputed to us. And our Father, we want to begin by thanking you for your word and particularly for your wisdom and for uh, these books of the Bible that we will study today. And so we pray as James instructed us that if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask of God and you will give it to us. And so we're asking now for wisdom as we uh, study through your word uh, these next few months together. I thank you for each person that's here. I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them in, uh, in this journey. And we pray most of all that we would see our Lord Jesus uh, in all that we do, and that we would rejoice and, and glory in him. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've put together a little handout for you. I don't think we're going to cover all this today, uh, but I wanted to get us, uh, get us started. So I'll just kind of read along a little bit. What books are included in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament? <clears throat> well, the, the longer list is a list of five, and that includes uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Psalms, and the Song of Solomon. Um, we're not going to particularly look at, um, at Psalms. Psalms is a huge study of its own, and, and, but it is considered wisdom literature. Uh, but we're not going to, to look at that particularly. Although, uh, you will next week. Russ Rice will be here. Russ Rice. You'll be here next week, right? And you're going to do a psalm. So you get some wisdom literature from the psalms uh, uh, next week. And um, whether we'll include the Song of Solomon after that comment to begin the class, I don't know. <laughs> um, Song of Solomon is, is, in, is considered wisdom literature. Uh, we'll probably put that one at the end. Uh, so we're going to do Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and, and Job. We obviously can't do a verse-by-verse verse, uh, exposition of these books. We'd be here for several years. Um, but we will look at them. Um, so we'll start with Proverbs and then go to Ecclesiastes and then, then Job. This current study with our, with our schedule now will go through the end of May, and then we'll take a break for at least part of the summer, we'll have we'll combine the classes again, and somebody else will do kind of a general teaching on something. I think it's been been set, but I don't remember what it uh, what it's going to be. Um, but next Sunday, uh, I'll be out. Vicky and Christy and I will be at the biblical counseling conference in Lafayette, Indiana, and so we won't be here. But Russ, thank you for being here to teach uh, through the book of uh, through a, a psalm. Um, so let's just begin talking about the topic of, of um, wisdom, and particularly wisdom in the Old Testament. We, we can't help but wander in the New Testament from time to time, but um, let's think about wisdom. So just a little bit of class participation. When you hear the word wisdom, what's, what comes to your mind? A, a definition or a concept? What do, you, what do you think? Two or three folks have, a, have some thoughts about Okay, good. Did you hear Cheryl says uh, Jesus, and that's that's my fourth, fifth, sixth point today, so we won't get there, Polly, but that's good. The Lord Jesus is our wisdom. Good? Slow, slow to speak. Oh, David? I was going to say slow to speak. Okay, slow to speak. Uh, good. Good, okay. That's from James. And, and Long-term experience. Long-term experience, okay. There's an experiential factor to wisdom. The principal thing. The principal thing is wisdom. Okay, good. Skillful living according to God's word. Okay. That was my dad's definition growing up. That's good. Skillful living according to God's word. John, that, that where you were going? Okay, applying biblical truth to everyday living. That's good. Well, we're not going to state particularly a definition from this podium today about wisdom. Those are all good and, and, and accurate. Um, we're just going to kind of let the definition of wisdom kind of flow out of the text that we see. And oh, every now and then we'll see some, somebody in our, in, our, in our speaking today about, um, about wisdom and the definition of it. But I want to look at uh, six qualities or attributes of wisdom. And I, I, one of my discoveries was is a book called Old Testament Wisdom Literature, a Theological Introduction by Craig Bartholomew and Ryan O'Dowd. 
And this, I, I haven't read all the way through it. I've only got about 100 pages, but uh, I've really been helped by this book, so I'm gonna, going to uh, cite uh, some of their qualities that they bring out about wisdom. And these aren't unique to them, but I, they put them together in a way that I thought was, <clears throat> I thought was helpful. Um, the last two qualities I kind of pulled from some other sources and on my own study. So uh, these observations are about wisdom in the Old Testament, and they all overlap. Uh, I'll move from I'll move around in these uh, in these six things, particularly the first the first four. But they all show something that I never thought about before, and that is how intricately intertwined is wisdom in the in the created order. And they all kind of say that they all approach that concept. Um, from a little bit different ways, but it's, uh, it is really a wonderful observation to make how wisdom <coughs> is connected and reflective of the, the order in creation. So my goal today, uh, really for, for us, is for you and for me to see this connection and that we would sense the awe of God's creation and therefore, by, by connection, sense the awe of God's wisdom. So, let's look at the first point. And we're going to look at our, in our Bibles. Um, wisdom is concerned with the general order and patterns of living in God's creation. So let's just open our Bibles to Proverbs 3. If that concept seems a little bit new to you, just uh, stay with me and let's work through this through this material, and you'll see how glorious it is. I think so. Proverbs three uh, nineteen. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth; by understanding, He established the heavens. So we see here that, that God's wisdom is woven throughout the created order. Uh, look at another very interesting passage in uh, Proverbs 8. We're going to see this concept a lot as we get into the book of Proverbs. But in <clears throat> Proverbs 8, um, Solomon uh, gets into one of his imageries, and that is the imagery of the uh, of the of lady wisdom, of, of wisdom personified as a lady. So that's what he's talking about here in Proverbs eight. But look at uh, verse uh, twenty-seven. Proverbs eight twenty-seven. When he established the heavens, I was there. That's lady wisdom speaking. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. And she goes on and says, I was there when that happened. So, um, interesting thought, isn't it? Here is wisdom personified as a lady, and she said, when God created the world, I was there. Now, you think about the grammar of that sentence. Uh, if she was there when he created the world there, then wisdom was there before he created the world. In fact, I, when we think about the eternality of God, then we, we know that God has been wise all of all of his existence. How do you even say that? You know, God is all. God has always been wise. It's been one of his. It's one of his attributes. It's one of his eternal attributes. So his wisdom begins even before uh, the creation. I mean, he was wise even before the creation. And um, but yet, it, in the creation, we see the wisdom of God manifested. And what we see is, uh, is amazing to us. And we should be filled with wonder at the, at, at the manifestation of God's wisdom in the creation. Um, what are some examples of God's wisdom in the creation, in the created order? This isn't a hard question, but you probably hadn't thought about it. Well, how about the uh, solar system? That's pretty wise huh? that God would put together a solar system. Or the seasons, or uh, you can just go on and on. By the way, uh, 
one of the great resources that I've, quote, stumbled onto the last uh, 10 days is uh, a group called put this at, right at the end of your page uh, on the other side but uh, <clears throat> I think I came across this in the in Tim Challies if y'all know Tim Challies a reformed blogger in in Canada and he does this little a la carte thing and he cited this group and uh, Dixie and I discovered it and it's be, it's become our go-to viewing during our dinner time we watched the <clears throat> John 1010 project and what these people have done is that they've done hundreds, I guess, videos that bring out the wonder of creation. So they'll do a little two-minute thing on the tongue of a, uh, uh, of a hummingbird. Or they may do some big thing like the, the James Allen tele telescope that just went up you know, a few months ago. Uh, <clears throat> so I would recommend those to you, and I'll, you'll see more why I think that's important uh, to watch those videos because they just bring out the wonder of creation the beauty and the majesty of, uh, of creation. But, it, but what we see is it, it just it manifests the wisdom of God in the creation. When you see how a hummingbird's tongue works. And of course, uh, and, and the beauty of creation too. Um, I, I, they, they quoted Charles Darwin Let's see if I can find it. They quoted Darwin. <clears throat> and he said, uh, he was talking about the, and one of the things, they do a deal on the, on the uh, tail of a male peacock. And look at the wonder of that, of that beauty and the intricacy of it. And um, <clears throat> Charles Darwin said, every time I see the tail of a peacock, it makes me sick sick to my stomach because such beauty goes far beyond what I can explain by my theory of natural selection. <laughs> Every time I see the tail of a peacock, it makes me sick, says Charles Darwin. <clears throat> yeah, right. <clears throat> he said, beauty created for its own sake would be absolutely fatal to my theory. Anyway, just a, a thought about that. Thinking about just the wonder and the beauty of creation, but also the wisdom of it of how God created the world, every detail, plus the big, you know, the, the majesty of it uh, now. So look at this um, point, point B, this little schematic I've put together here. Because when we talk about the wisdom drawing on the created order, it's particularly focusing on Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the creation and then the fall also there. Um, but then after, uh, after the creation account, then God gives his law to Israel. Look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. So what the, what the law does, the law given to Israel... Um, what it did was it took the created order and provided guidelines for applying it to their daily life. So just think about uh, the Sabbath day for Israel. It goes right back to the created order, doesn't it? And, and uh, so one of the laws is you know, keep, keep the Sabbath day. Um, so Deuteronomy 4, let's start with verse, uh, verse 5. Deuteronomy 4, 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So notice the connection now between the commandments and wisdom. The commandments are, uh, 
are a, a way to apply the truths of the created order. And Moses said, I guess quoting the Lord there, said that when other nations see you following my commandments, they will say, that is a wise people. They'll recognize uh, wisdom. And what it really goes back to is they're, they're following the order of creation um, in, in their life. And then um, after the law, then we have this concept of wisdom. And wisdom does even more than the law in a sense in that it provides uh, concepts and nuances and ways to apply not only the created order, but through the created order uh, with the law uh, to everyday uh, to everyday life. We'll get we'll see this more in, in a few minutes. Um, so notice here's a, a bit of a definition of wisdom. Point C. I got this directly from from these fellows uh, here. Wisdom gazes out to observe the order of creation and then gazes in to tune our lives to the pattern of God's created order. So wisdom looks out and sees the order of creation and, and, then, the, and then aligns our lives in, to be in pattern with the, uh, with the, created, with the created order. Um, so that's why I think it's good to watch something like this. Or it's if you think about our forefathers, they were a whole lot more in touch with the created order than we are. You know, we don't have to dig in the dirt to, to grow food if we don't want to. We can, you know, we can go to the grocery store and get it. Uh, but our forefathers, particularly all the way back to Israel, but not too long, not not too far uh, back from now, they were they were in touch with with nature, with the created order. They had to work with. With nature and in the uh, in the dirt, and they were more in tune with nature. And I'm not getting into some kind of weird ecological stuff. Don't worry about that. I'm just saying that 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 our forebears, our forefathers, uh, were much more in contact uh, with the created order, and and for them that was a means of growing in wisdom. So my homework assignment for you is to watch a few of these two to six minute things and uh, get up early enough to look at a sunset, a sunrise. Also, yeah. also Ken Ham. <laughs> yeah. Ken Ham. Ken Ham does some of the same, yeah. yeah. Okay. And the big arc. Yeah, the arc, yeah, good. So for us to grow, uh, for us to begin to move toward a sense of awe in God's wisdom, the connection here is a sense of awe in God's creation. And so uh, uh, my wife loves birds, and so we, we have to have a budget category for bird feed to keep her bird feeders uh, full. But I love to watch them come, you know, come to the, to the bird feeders. And, and boy, during the, during the snow and the ice, we had lots of bird feeders because she was concerned they would all die, you know. And, and so we watched these little birds come. And... and uh, there's something uh, good about, about doing that. By the way, another thing that I'm learning about that I need to grow in, and that is that the wisdom literature um, uh, expresses wisdom through poetry. In fact, you think about these books we're going to look at, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and uh, Job, and you can tell what is poetry in the Bible because it's got indentions and things like that. 99.9% of it is poetry, is poet, is poetry. And, uh, and because, I, in reading these guys and others, because, because poetry is a, is a means of expressing awe and wonder. And so I've been trying to grow in my appreciation for poetry. I don't have a real strong appreciation for it. So I bought a, I bought a book of poetry uh, by George Herbert. You all know who George Herbert is? He's a reformed... Uh, Guy, he died at 36 years old, but he wrote, uh, he wrote, I don't know, y'all know George, maybe 200 poems or something, and he didn't publish any of them while he was living. But he had tuberculosis and he knew he was going to die, and so a, a friend came to, uh, a friend of a friend came to see him and 
and uh, he said, I've, I've come because your friend is concerned about you. And, and George said, yes, I'm dying. And he said, I want you to take something to my friend. And he, he packaged up these 127 poems or something that he never had shown anybody. And he gave them to him and said, if, if, uh, if you think they may be helpful to somebody else, then publish them. He died uh, two months later, I think. And his friend got the poems and he published them. And they've, I think they've been in publication since then, since 1635 or something like that. So I'm trying to, trying to learn an appreciation about poetry because I think that's a dimension of this, of this concept of wisdom. Okay, uh, so take a walk, look at a sunset, uh, grow in your, in your sense of wonder. So when we think about this, this first point, wisdom is concerned with the general order and patterns of living in God's creation. I've given you some examples there in point D, uh, just the common things that we learn. If you think about all the wisdom in Genesis chapter 3, chapters 1 through 3, I just listed a few of, a few of them. Maybe you, can you think of some other things we, we gain in, by, by uh, the wisdom of God in Genesis 1 through 3? Well, yeah. I've been reading a book by a Christian doctor on trees, and it's been fascinating reading how trees are an integral part of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Mm -hmm. It takes you through the Scripture on the importance of trees, but trees give off oxygen for us to breathe, and we give off carbon dioxide for them to, you Okay. It's, there's a there's a connection there. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of description and scripture using trees. That's very good, Christy. Christy mentions the idea of trees in the garden, and of course we got the different trees. We got the tree of life. We have all the other trees, and then of course we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's what we see in what we see in Genesis one through three, the beginning of this concept of two pathways. And one of, the, one of the concepts of that is two trees. Are you going to eat from the tree of life or eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? That's good. It, it dawned on me uh, reading, reading some in the book of uh, Job. Remember Job, and that's a mysterious book. We'll, we'll get there in a few months. But, but here is Job, and he's, uh, he's confused and upset. He doesn't know what's going on. Why He doesn't... He doesn't he doesn't have the information we have about Satan and, you know, his suffering. So he's asking God, you know, what's going on here? I need, I need wisdom. And remember, um, God finally answers him, what, in chapter, at the end of the book. Yeah. How does he answer him? Where are you? <laughs> yeah. What does he, he doesn't say, okay, Job, here's six principles you need to understand. He said, yeah, where were you? Uh, can, can you play with Leviathan? I, he's my little toy. What, what about you? So I think that's amazing that, that in this wisdom book, when Job asks for insight and wisdom, God doesn't, God doesn't give him what he asks. He just portrays the wonder of creation before him. And he never gives any kind of explicit, non-poetic answer uh, like I would like to have. You know, just give me three points so I can be a better whatever. Uh, he portrays the creation before him and what does Job say? Or he, he said, okay, God, I get it. And he was humbled and he, you know, he listened. And so, uh, so the, the point is, uh, wisdom and the created order are intricately intertwined uh, together. <clears throat> well, the next one is one that we all know. And that is wisdom begins uh, with the fear of the Lord. Now, let's not miss the second word in that verse. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And again, in our scientific age, we would say, um, you know, give me a list of wise things that I should do, a list of principles that I should follow. But Solomon says, no, you don't start there. You start with the fear of the Lord. You start with your <clears throat> relationship with God. Now, we're going to get into this when we get to Proverbs, but I want you to notice something that's, that's pointed out. That when we get to Proverbs, we're going to see that Proverbs has three sections to it. Um, 
the introduction uh, is kind of Proverbs 1 through 9, and then kind of the application of the principles stated in chapters 1 through 9 are 10 through 29, and then the end of the book, the conclusion, is are chapters uh, 30 and 31. So interestingly, Bible scholars have noted that um, either at the beginning or the end of each one of these sections is uh, this statement that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And they don't believe that's by some kind of accident, that, that the fear of the Lord is, is the primary uh, truth and foundational concept in the wisdom of uh, the book of Proverbs. So that's why I just um, gave you those three passages there. Proverbs 1-7, that's in the first part of, uh, of the book. And then Proverbs 9-10, that's, the, that's at the end of the first part, but it precedes the second part. And then at the end, uh, Proverbs 31-30, I think, is the wise woman that has the fear of the Lord. Then in Ecclesiastes, look at Ecclesiastes. You may be surprised to see this. So it's Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. So Ecclesiastes is a strange book, and I'm looking forward to studying it together. Is um, let's see, um, is Breck in? Breck must be next door. I think Breck said the Ecclesiastes is his favorite book in the Bible. <laughs> Maybe he ought to come teach it. Uh, it's just a weird book, isn't it? But it's part of the wisdom literature, and so we'll we'll dig into it. But look, this is right at the very end of the book. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 12 and Solomon finally in uh, verse 13 Ecclesiastes 12 13 the end of the matter is this all has been heard fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man so again this idea of the fear of the Lord uh, in, in a wisdom context uh, is, is basic to these three wisdom books and then we won't look at it but uh, Job 28 28 speaks of the fear of the Lord related to wisdom there also. So, when you hear the term the fear of the Lord, what, what comes to your mind? What are some thoughts about, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Reverence. Reverence, okay, good, good word. Respect, all right, good. It's fear, but not like fear, like fear of Freddy Krueger. It's fear like handling a load of gun, right? There's a there's an amount of uh, of respect that you know that you could really damage yourself if you're stupid. You know? Okay, all right. <laughs> Good. So Lieb says it's like the fear of handling a loaded gun. It could be it could be trouble for you if you don't do it the right way. That's good. Okay. All right. Other ideas about the fear of the Lord. Recognizing his sovereignty. Okay. Recognizing God's sovereignty. Good. He sees everything. Okay, recognize he sees all things. That's good. Very good, thank you. Are the thoughts about the fear of the Lord? Choice. Uh, hmm? Honoring God. Okay, good. All right, honoring the Lord. It's fearing the Lord. It's definitely a big topic, isn't it? And we're going to come, obviously, since it's the foundational principle of wisdom, we're going to come back to it again and again. But I thought we might do just a little bit of it uh, today. I... Uh, uh, ran onto a little book uh, by a guy named Michael Reeves called "What Does It Mean?" What does it mean to fear the Lord? This is a little summary of his larger book, which I noticed we have in the library, and I can't remember the name of it. Uh, anyway, Mark has it in our library, but this has been really a helpful book. I've read through it a couple of times, and just a um, a couple of things about that. Let's look at, at Jeremiah chapter 32 because what you're saying what you're saying and thinking about the fear of the Lord is a is a good observation that is for God's people we don't fear with the dread of of a judgment and condemnation because our Lord Jesus Christ has borne that for us so there's no the, the fear the fear of God. We've been, um, you know, we've been uh, hearing from Pastor Justin in his lessons, in his sermons on, on um, the Book of Revelation, 
that the unbelievers fear God, not in the sense of respect and honor, but they fear his judgment and his, uh, and his condemnation. But we don't. And I have never thought about this before, but um, I think Reeves is the one that brings it out in the, that, the, that the fear of the Lord is a blessing of the new covenant. So Jeremiah 32, 39, and 40. This is a, one of the blessings of the new covenant. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing them good. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness and all my heart, uh, with all my heart and with all my soul. So here is uh, the, the new covenant that the Lord Jesus purchased for us with his blood. A provision of that is this proper fear, this proper fear of God. Now look in uh, chapter 33, verses 8 and 9, and you'll see something really beautiful there. Jeremiah 33, 8 and 9. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity that I provided. So, Whatever the fear of God is, the proper fear of the Lord, it's a gift to us that God gives us in the, in the new covenant. Um, we won't look at Psalm 145, but here's a Hebrew parallelism that loving God is the same as fearing God. So then, uh, so uh, Michael Reeves says, let's, let's see what kind of word we should have that describes the fear of the Lord. And he, he takes words that we have all mentioned that we like, like uh, awe and reverence and respect, he says, no, that's, those are too weak. In fact, he says they are, they're gray. They don't, they don't express the exuberance of what it means uh, to fear the Lord. And the, the word he likes is, uh, is trembling. So there can be a trembling of fear of the, God, of the condemnation of God, but, but even though we don't fear the condemnation of God, we should still have a sense of trembling before the Lord uh, before him as we think about his majesty and his power but then as we think about his love for us and you know the mystery and the majesty of his of his love so he calls it a trembling love uh, I mean, trembling joy uh, love and wonder and so just kind of taking that for just a, a moment realizing that at this kind of uh, of uh, sense of awe and wonder and in in, as we think about God is an, is, a, is an essential in fact it is the foundation of what it means to be wise so there's no so, so far we haven't talked about these seven principles or these six things or anything like that it's just that we begin with, the, <clears throat> with this sense of uh, awe and trembling before the Lord and so as we, as we get into to, uh, well, all the wisdom literature is going to say this. I, I noticed this morning I did some reading in uh, uh, in Job, and when when Job, when God rebukes Job's three so-called friends, uh, he says, "You are fools." He called them fools because uh, obviously uh, someone is, that is foolish is the is the opposite of someone that is wise. So God calls them fools because they didn't understand him. They didn't grasp uh, who he was. So from a biblical standard, it is impossible for us to be wise apart from the fear of the Lord. In fact, uh, we'll see in Proverbs uh, that as intellectually keen a man may be, if he's a scoffer, he's a fool. So, well, you just look at some of the crazy things that are coming out of our culture today as wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And you see, no, that's not wisdom. Those people are fools because they don't submit themselves 
and you know, find the proper uh, fear of the Lord. Okay, now here's a term I learned from these fellows here, ethical. Or any, any, any other thought about the fear of the Lord as we move along here a little bit? We'll, we will cycle back through this uh, regularly. Okay, <clears throat> look at this term, ethical, mono, ethical monotheism. It was unique among Israel's polytheistic neighbors. So these are, uh, you think about wisdom in Israel, it didn't just live in a, in a vacuum. Uh, Israel was deeply involved with Egypt for, what, 460-something years. And we know that there was a, a wisdom culture in Egypt because, remember, when Moses came back and he you know, brought, brought the plagues, uh, Pharaoh brought in his wise magicians, you know, to, to do, their, do their thing. Uh, another uh, civilization that Israel was deeply involved with was, was the Medo-Persian, Mesopotamia, the Babylonians. Uh, and we know they had wise men. You think about um, uh, the book of Daniel and how, you know, the, the, the king had the dreams and he brought in his wise men and you know, all that kind of thing happened there. So, um, uh, so Israel was immersed in different concepts of wisdom from these different cultures. But the reason that this writer says that ethical monotheism was unique among, uh, in Israel, among their pagan neighbors was that all the, by the way, uh, research has shown that in nearly every ancient Near Eastern culture, they had a, they had a creation story. And boy, they were, some of them are really weird. I mean, they're just goofy. But the one thing that's, that's common among all these other creation stories is that they had, they were polytheistic, so they had many gods they had one God that created the sun, one created the, the, the moon or the, or the agricultural seasons or things like that. So they, they had a confused perception of wisdom drawing from the created order because they didn't have order. They had all kinds of strange things. And the other thing was some of these gods that they worshipped were created themselves. So the reason that, um, uh, that this was unique among Israel was because they had one God and one creation story. And so there was no confusion about what is the wisdom that comes from the creation, uh, from the creation story. Uh, Yahweh alone is the source of all knowledge, which, by the way, magnifies the limitations of created humanity and leads to a sense of mystery and wonder at God's design and his works in the world. So Job's an example of this, isn't he? When he saw the Wow, the, the amazement of the created order, it humbled him, and he, he said, I'm in big trouble. Uh, I'm, I'm not who I thought I was. And so when we, when we look at the created order and realize that, that our God is the source of all of it, it, it reminds us of our limitations and our great need for him, uh, to trust in him. Okay, then... Um, Point number three, and this is just obvious, but I, but I think it's good that we state it, that wisdom provides discernment for the particular order and circumstances of our lives. We won't get into a lot of into details about that particularly, but, um, but just this point, and I think this is the, the point to, to recognize in verse, I mean, point number eight. Wisdom gives assurance that since there is order in creation, God provides order for the events and the decisions of our lives, however random they may appear to be. So just let that sink in a few moments, that we are to look at creation and see there's order there. We see, we see laws that cannot be broken, uh, the law of gravity. And there's order in the creation because of that. We couldn't send a man to the moon without, without the scientists knowing that there are identifiable laws um, and that give order to creation. So the point of this statement is that we should look at creation and see the order there and then by transfer know that God provides wisdom for us so there'll be order in our lives also. Um, and I like that last point. However random 
our lives may appear to be, however random things come at us. Uh, this concept gives us the, the, the reality that God will provide the wisdom that we need to walk in the way that's pleasing to Him. Um, <clears throat> so therefore, uh, jumping to James, uh, to, to the New Testament, therefore we, therefore we should daily follow James' advice. If any, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So, uh, obviously, when we get into the book of Proverbs, we'll see these principles and these concepts that, that apply to, <clears throat> to all of life. By the way, one, one point that, that I just, well, no, I won't jump there. We'll get there. All right, I want to finish up with this uh, point number four. Wisdom is grounded in the theology and imagery of Genesis uh, 1 through 3. So let's just, let's just go to Genesis and, and look at it for just a moment. And particularly looking at the fall. So in Genesis, in Genesis, we, as we said earlier, we begin to see uh, the emergence of two pathways, two ways to go. And, and uh, wisdom literature picks up on that. And so notice that I mentioned some contrast. Uh, there's two trees, as Christy mentioned, the importance of trees. There's many other trees, but there's two trees mentioned in the, in the wisdom literature, uh, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, there's two voices. We'll see those in a minute. There's two ways to seek wisdom, submitting to God and obeying Him or following your own desires. And there are two paths with, two, with consequences, depending on the path that we take. So let's just read... Um, uh, beginning in chapter 3, we'll just read uh, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God, so here's one of the voices, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, now notice her pursuit of wisdom here now. So, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the, the, the tree was to be desired, so here's her desires coming out, desire to make one wise, she took other fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made uh, themselves loincloths. So here's this pathway beginning to emerge. The pathway of, of life and righteousness is eating from the tree of life. The pathway of death is eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, meaning I'm going to fulfill my desires any way I want to. I don't care what God says. The book of Proverbs picks up on this, so let's look at it uh, just for a couple of minutes. Um, <clears throat> So let's go to Proverbs chapter 5. The book of Proverbs personifies these two paths as two women. Okay, so in Proverbs 5, and again, this will be a subject of our study of Proverbs, but I just want you to see it concerning uh, wisdom. So Proverbs 5, verses 1 through 5. So this is... I just can't wait to get to Proverbs. This is Solomon teaching his son, but it's also a king teaching a teaching a prospective king. So there, there, so the uh, wisdom has a, has a sense of of a royal application, and you just think about that. The the uh, uh, the wise men and and uh, Daniel, and you know, they were there to bring wisdom to the king. Okay. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear. This is Proverbs 5. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. 
for the lips of a forbidden or adulterous uh, woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil but in the end she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword her feet go down to death her steps follow the path to Sion so this is the pathway of death following this this woman um, we could look at other past I don't think we will because of the sake of time but look at Lady Wisdom now Lady Wisdom is the other path and that's in Proverbs well she's throughout the book but particularly in, we can look at her in Proverbs 3 Proverbs 3.13 Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better so here's the personification as Lady Wisdom the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit is better than gold She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths, there's the two paths, all her paths are peace. And look at the first five words of verse 18. Did y'all read that? She is what? She's a tree of life. And that, folks, that's not some accidental literary statement that Solomon is making. He is pointing back to the, to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, which, by the way, because of their sin, they were barred with the, remember, the flaming sword with the, with the angel. They could not get back to the tree of life because it was uh, because of their sin. But now, maybe what Solomon is saying is that godly wisdom is a way of, again, eating from the tree of life. Now, it's a mess because we're in a fallen world and we're, you know, we have fallenness about us even though we're redeemed. But yet, wisdom is a way to return to the wisdom of, I mean, it, to return to the life that God gives. Of course, we're going to see this in Christ and the gospel. And then, as Christy mentioned, uh, if you just want to, we need this, this wisdom until we reach the other side and we go to the New Jerusalem because there is the tree of life again and we'll eat uh, regularly from it. Well, uh, we're going to stop there. And so your assignments are look at a sunset, take off your shoes and walk in the dirt a little bit, uh, watch a hummingbird, and watch some of these John 1010 projects and grow in your sense of awe and wonder about the creation so that we might grow in our sense of wonder about God's wisdom. Okay, thank you. We're, we're